Welcome, everybody. Time for another episode of Alive, brought to you by the Asher Longevity Institute, committed to science-based and easy-to-implement lifestyle changes you need in order to live a much longer and much healthier life. Today's show is made possible through the generous support of People Unlimited, a premier longevity company in Phoenix, Arizona. Learn more about People Unlimited and their partner longevity experts in the Coalition for Radical Life Extension at RLEcoalition.com. That's RLEcoalition.com. I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Longevity Institute studio in Washington, D.C., together with a host of Alive, John Asher, CEO and co-founder of the Asher Longevity Institute. John's guest is Dr. Jeffrey Boone, founder and director of the Boone Heart Institute in Denver, and also the chief medical officer of the Asher Longevity Institute. The title of the show is Protecting the Heart Muscle to Increase Longevity. Hello, John. Hello, Dave. Thanks for the introduction. Welcome back, Jeff. Always Thanks. good to have you on the show. Great to be here. So in part one of our discussions about the heart, um, we all kind of know that worldwide, uh, atherosclerosis, which are, can result in heart attacks, heart failure, and also in strokes, is the number one killer in most developed um, countries. And in our last uh, podcast, we really talked about uh, pretty much about the heart muscle. And luckily for me, we use myself as, as the example, just to kind of bring it home for everybody. So we're not having a hypothetical example. We're typically um, using me, which makes it uh, very much more interesting for most people. Jeff, last time we really talked in depth about the heart muscle. And this time we'd like to, and, and actually mainly about the blood vessels themselves and how they can clog up and cause problems. And this, this time we want to focus on the muscle and the valves. So can you give us a big picture on why they're so important and how they all fit together? Well, great question, John. And it's great to be able to use you as a, an excellent example of these longevity approaches through protecting the heart. And the first approach, as you suggested, is to make sure the arteries are pristine and cleaned out. And we've got good evidence from our last podcast that, uh, that you show great examples of, of any clogging of the arteries that have, uh, uh, have been stabilized or reversed through your various therapies. Then eventually those arteries are feeding a heart muscle that beats uh, a million times a week. And it just keeps beating and all that blood is going through a series of four valves that open and shut a million times a week. So it's miraculous that they stay alive in most people for quite a long time. And again, our goal is that they stay alive a lot longer than that. Looking at the heart muscle is a very important secondary part. Now, it's often not a, a cause of sudden death as the blood vessels is if you don't adequately control the plaque in the arteries. Usually heart failure, which is a, a fancy word for muscle failure, the heart muscle just is no longer flexible enough to pump effectively. And sometimes the first problem with even heart failure is the heart isn't flexible enough to expand to accept its next load of blood to move forward. So the analysis of the heart muscle is a very critical part of prevention uh, and longevity. And most of the time it doesn't happen until you're complaining of something. You go into the emergency room with swollen legs and short of breath and fluid in the lungs. And that's when the system really kicks in to try to treat or reverse or control heart failure. But the, uh, the problem is, is the 10 to 20 million people that have heart failure 
usually it's just a long, slow deterioration of the heart muscle and it's hard to bring it back. Now there's many great new drugs that have been developed in the serious end of things, but what we focus on is how do you find early evidence of, of heart failure? And so again, we take our same approach as we did with the blood vessels, looking at the, the blood vessels anatomically and to find plaque. Now, in this case, we look at the heart muscle anatomically to see, is it thickened? Has it been stretched? Is it inflexible? Uh, those are the things we would look at anatomically. And that can usually be done uh, with an ultrasound. Uh, and it also needs to be read by a longevity expert who's not just trying to clear you from serious disease, but is trying to look for early abnormalities. Uh, oftentimes an ultrasound of the heart or an echocardiogram that this, the typical medical system will look at, they'll call normal. Whereas a preventive practitioner or a longevity practitioner will look at very subtle early changes that will be a hallmark of looking at uh, approaches. So to use yourself as an example, the very first time I saw you, I think it was 2015, your heart was a little bit thicker than normal. Usually it should be less than 1.1 centimeters thick and yours was about that. 1.1 centimeters. So that can be thickened because of good physical fitness, which you ha have in your life as well. But then we saw that the heart was stiff, meaning it didn't fill as easily. Now, certainly nothing that a, a typical person would look at and think was abnormal in the usual setting of a like an emergency room, but something I didn't like. And it had the the stiffness of, of one, you know, much older than you would have expected in a healthy person like you. So those got my attention. And then the size of the heart was a little bit stretched. So could be normal, but then we looked beyond that, the anatomic thickness and the anatomic size of a chamber being a little stretched. Then physiologically, we saw that the heart squeezed out plenty of blood at about 60% of the blood with each beat. But then when the heart relaxed, it didn't relax easily. Uh, and so those were things that made me wanna watch further these issues. And then the inferior vena cava, which is a blood vessel that comes up from the legs to deliver blood uh, that's been used up to get it through the lungs and pumped again, the inferior vena cava was a little bit enlarged. So it looked like there may be something that was a problem there. And then beyond the anatomic and physiologic assessment, then biochemically, we saw a blood test called NT-proBNP, which is a measure of heart strain. And your level was 312, which is pretty good. The highest I've ever seen in that number was 30,000 in an NFL player that was in one of the first uh, Super Bowls. And he needed a heart transplant and that number was 30,000. So here I'm getting excited about you when it's 312 because it should be below 125. So now we have biochemical evidence, anatomic evidence, and physiologic evidence of things that most people would have ignored, but for me were the harbinger of a future. Because we're when we treated you, I think at that age, you were probably in your 70s. And I'm looking at how healthy can you be at 100? And we then instituted therapies that began to change those. And and we can kind of go into then what happened in that and how that can be evaluated and subsequently as we look at the anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry of your heart muscle, all of those numbers became totally normal within a couple of years and now you're off to the races to 100. Yeah. I know. For you, for you, 100 is quite young and that not your eventual goal. So uh, at least we'll shoot for 130 and then after that you can uh, uh, just pound your chest.
Yeah, genetics, and then it's there are some very uh, critical heart muscle genetics, but most of those are used in someone who's very young and like a football player that would die young might have a genetic tendency. So in the process of analyzing your heart, I was pretty sure there were no horrible genetic things that would lead to what they call a cardiomyopathy. But those are the things we've got a, a foundation here in Denver called Every Heart, and we test all the Bronco and Rockies players, and we've we test thousands of high school kids to find that needle in a haystack of the one guy that might actually die playing football. Uh, and that's often more of a genetic thing. Now, in your case, the genetic testing that we did would indicate just a, a tendency to have trouble in some of the peripheral parts of the process. So one way that we prevent heart failure in you, in addition to these numbers that I've just talked about, is to look at your even vascular genetics. So the fact that you're on uh, a statin and repatha and we're treating uh, all the genetic factors there as well as homocysteine, those are all things that will help the heart muscle function even better as well. So in addition to a particular medicine that has you know, probably cured your situation of ever having a failing heart muscle, uh, we've got a lot of those therapies that are helping the vessels that are delivering life-giving blood and oxygen to that pumping heart muscle that never gives up, that's pumping a million times a week. So you do have three or four genetic factors that have led to that, but those have been cared for by some of our vascular and then some of your longevity vitamin strategies as well. One amazing drug that, that I've been taking at your, at your suggestion was Rapatha. Yes. And uh, Rapatha has so many uh, benefits, as I understand it. Um, it lowers your LDL we're really pretty far down. It also um, reduces the amount of soft plaque. And it's, isn't it that soft plaque that can cause a film on the valves and kind of clog them up a little bit? Yes. So we've seen a great benefit, especially in your circulation and in all of our patients. The Repatha, in addition to all the other uh, you know, therapies for these various uh, issues, all the way to, from vitamins to statins to aspirin, your artery situation has vastly improved, as we talked about in the last podcast, with plaques going from 52 to 26% in the legs and you know, 40 to zero in the heart. So you're cleaning out all the blood vessels quite nicely. But the other thing that uh, sometimes cholesterol and inflammation can do is deposit on the valves of the heart. And the valves of the heart that are opening a million times are kind of the gateway to let blood out of the heart. So my, my father becomes a good example there. We discovered that his heart was stiff and thick at age 60 and instituted uh, a medicine called Losartan which you're taking, John, an upgraded version of that is called Telmasartan, and that actually prevents heart failure, and you're, you're now perfectly normal in all of your heart thickness, stiffness, and biochemical evidence. Um, but in my father's case, now he's 96, and he was only 92 when we discovered the benefits of Repatha on the valves. So his aortic valve was already somewhat poorly opening. That is, the, the valve is a three leaflet sort of an opening that opens and it usually opens quite well with no obstruction. In his case, the corners of the valve, which kind of looks like a Mercedes sign, is gumming up together. So his valve eventually couldn't open enough to let the blood out. So we worked on that with Repatha for several years, but ultimately the opening became less than one square centimeter open. It actually dropped to 0.4 square centimeters, which is anything below one, you start thinking about surgery and opening the valve. Now he still was not complaining of anything, 
But for example, your NT Pro BNP, which is an, uh, an evaluation of heart strain. And uh, I know the inventor of that blood test, Alan Maisel, MD from University of California, San Diego. And they use that as a method of evaluating heart failure. And he was amazed that I was using that test in someone like you who's not complaining of anything because they're looking at that number when it's several thousand. Uh, and we're looking at it at 312 to get it down to 125. So in my father's case, that number had always been about three or 400 as a you know 90 year old. We tried to use Repatha to open the valve, but it had already closed down enough that we had not a great success. The best thing is to prevent that. So in your case, John, every day that blood flows by that valve a million beats a, min, uh, a week, it's actually cleaning off the valve, wherein my father before Repatha, every beat was increasing the film and the stickiness around that valve. So my father's NT Pro BNP went from three to 400 up to 1400. And that showed us we needed to open the gateway so the blood could easy, more easily exit the heart. And so he had to have one of these new, it's called a TAVR aortic valve replacement that can be delivered by a catheter. And when you're in your 90s, sometimes they want, don't want to slice your whole chest open. Uh, and so they went up through his groin and put a new valve in. And immediately his, his, his heart had a, a new lease on life. You know, the, now the opening was big enough and the valve was just now automatically opening and shutting as the blood flowed through it. And his heart failure risk dropped and his anti-pro BNP dropped as well. So in your case, John, and in my case, and anybody else that's you know trying to treat these things aggressively, preventively, we think we're going to prevent that and you from ever happening. My heart surgeon friends, they initially were mad at me to uh, uh, clean out all the arteries so they don't get to do bypass surgery anymore. And now, and now they tell me they're going to have to send their children to junior college because we're going to eliminate the need for valve surgery. Not that, not that junior college is bad. That's where I went to start off my career. But uh, uh, you know, they were joking that he, all the things that allowed him to send his kid to Harvard are no longer happening. That's funny. <laughs> Just the thought that you can do with a catheter through the leg and up to the heart replace a valve that's just okay. te technology is amazing isn't it i know and and they they are initially doing it in people over 90 because they're just afraid of you know the the recovery of such a severe open heart surgery but it works sure. perfectly in him i just got a call the other day uh, uh the rockies want him to play the national anthem on memorial day at coors field in denver and okay. he's still a great trumpet player although he is army and not navy john so i know you're uh, in and uh, so you think he's probably half a man. <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. One of, one of the great aspects of this, Jeff, is that for, for heart failure for many, many people, and, I, and it's one of the biggest um, killers, as we all know, when people are thinking about living a normal life, if it happens in their late 70s and 80s, well, that's kind of expected. And they're kind of at the end of their lifespan. But if you really want to live towards an unlimited life, then you've got to be proactive about this, just like you have suggested. And it's why, of course, I keep coming back to you <laughs> because I want that unlimited life. Yes. No, excellent description. And I think that's true is that we tend to think that if somebody gets heart failure in their 70s or 80s, that's just the normal course of thing. Right. But I'm always very sad when I see that, that we could have prevented that. Now, we do a lot to help that improve, but it never quite is as good if we never let it happen. Uh, and so I think it, it really does cre create in a patient the desire to ask for more. 
uh, and to look for the kinds of things that you're doing and recommending through the Asher Longevity Institute, look for a practitioner or an approach that is going to define and follow uh, early heart failure prevention. Now, another part that I haven't mentioned much is one of the biggest causes of the failing muscle is high blood pressure. And we talked about you didn't really have much high blood pressure. That's where the telmosartan is so good. It sort of blunts just the stress-related blood pressure. But most importantly, it just remodels and makes the heart muscle uh, much more preventive. And then we have, I like to measure and treat things where we have uh, not obscure endpoints, but we actually have measurable endpoints of improvement. And, and your, uh, uh, your heart uh, is looking like it will never fail. Uh, and that's kind of what I want. And, but you got to start early. There are a lot of new drugs. There's maybe five or six more drugs that have been invented, exceedingly expensive. Heart failure in 10 or 15 to 20 million people is just never gonna get better and it costs the, the system a fortune. Oh, um, but more importantly, I just hate people walking around with you know, uh, failing hearts that could have prevented it long ago. And certainly exercise, nutrition, diabetes control, blood pressure control, plaque control, cholesterol, all of those are a part of helping the muscle continue to, to do well. You mentioned um, blood pressure. I know you know this, but about maybe five years ago, there was the SPRINT trial. Yes. Right? A clinical trial that um, where people were in two groups, one under 120 and the other over 140. And it was going to be a five-year trial. And so many people over 140 were dying during the trial. They stopped the trial. In other words, they had enough data after about 25% of the way through the study to recognize how important our blood pressure is on our on our longevity, and it mainly affects the cardiovascular system, uh, as you suggest. So, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, the physicals I've always had before I came to your clinic, all they did was just measure the blood pressure in your in your arm to try to get about the same level as your heart. But when I went the first time I went to see you, you measured it in the legs as well. So why is that it's so important to measure it at other areas other than just the arm? Yes, we think that is important to look at the, the impact of blocked arteries in the legs and the reduction, reduction of blood pressure in the legs. And certainly high blood pressure can be looked at in all those organs. And then the other thing we do is we try to mentally stress someone out because ultimately a better predictor of your future is blood pressure during mental stress. And so not only measured in the, in the arms, the legs, we have another device called SphygmaCore AtCore that looks at measuring the central blood pressure, the blood pressure inside the heart, which typically, you know, you don't want to do a, put a needle in the heart of somebody just to find that out. But this uh, software that we have predicts the central pressure. And so the central pressure has more prognostic significance than the peripheral pressure. So the more places you measure it, and then I'm a big believer in embracing the abnormality. So rather than explaining away an isolated pressure elevation is to embrace it and then treat it and then correlate it. Does it correlate with, you know, in biochemical evidence or anatomic evidence of an issue. So you're right, the more places you measure it. And then ultimately the best blood pressure to have is one that barely keeps you standing. So the only, the only blood pressure that's too low is if it's making you dizzy, but otherwise, and you're right, the sprint trial showed even normal blood pressure is probably closer to, you know, 110 over 70. And we tend to think that, uh, you know, 140 over 90 is high blood pressure, but that goal continues to get lower and lower. 
Uh, and then the only danger is to take too much. Now, the nice thing about Losartan and the Telmosartan that you're on is they tend to work when you need it and leave you alone when you're not. And so in your case, John, when we put you under those mental stresses, we showed that the blood vessels were constricting, which showed that the, uh, the blood vessels under stress were like a garden hose uh, screwing down the nozzle on the hose. And so the Telmosartan and uh, Losartan are very good at relaxing the blood vessels. So the very first time we saw you in 2015, your blood vessel flexibility age was 79. Now, the last time we saw you in February of, of last year, the blood vessel flexibility age had dropped to 63. So those are just more physiologic evidence of success. And so your blood vessels are, are getting younger all the time and the, uh, the medicines along with the Asher Longevity Total Program are, are helping those blood vessels to get even more relaxed and, and not responding with any stress elevation. And the nice thing about Telmosartan is that it tends to work when you need it and not when you're resting or not stressed. And so it doesn't cause the dizziness or things like that that might come if you were using other types of medicine. Yeah, and, and as you may remember, when you first put me on Losartan, um, so my normal blood pressure is about 110 over 70. That's what it typically is. Yes. And um, th so we went on Losartan, and it would periodically get down to, oh, I don't know, 95 over 65. And I had a couple of instances where I became, you know, as soon as you stand up from a sitting position, you get, get a little lightheaded. Yes. And and so I was right there at the edge. And so then we cut my uh, telemarsin in half. Yes. So that's just perfect to keep me at right around 105 and, and 65. So. Yes. And that's excellent titration of the dose. You know, you were the one that helped us then, you know, it might be just a little bigger dose than we used cutting in a half. You're still getting all the, the benefits without any of the, uh, the slight dizziness. So if anybody on these medicines is just a little dizzy as they stand up, then we can cut the dose in half. But I never like to totally eliminate it because it does so many other good things to the, the muscle and the valves and the uh, eventually then that leads to a, a, a normal electricity flow through the heart muscle as it's not diseased anymore. Yeah, so you, um, that's one area we haven't talked much about. Can you let the um, listeners know about the importance of the electricity? Yes, and it seems to be then the hardest one to give a particular medicine for, but it is the result of a mismanaged heart. So if you have clogged arteries or high blood pressure, heart failure, a stretched or thickened heart, then the electrical patterns that circulate through the heart become very problematic. And one thing that happens with this that's most annoying is atrial fibrillation. So normally the the upper chambers of the heart send out a signal, the lower chambers beat and all is well. And when you exercise, it goes faster. And when you sleep, it goes slower. But at a certain point when the heart is stretched uh, or thickened, then electrical signals start to, to shoot out of there in a, in a disorganized fashion. And that can lead to trouble. Now, there's a lot of wonderful doctors that can do ablations that sort of put out the fires that are causing this electrical stimulation that's a problematic. Uh, but still, even in your case, John, the, uh, the various thicknesses and stretching of the chambers have now gone to normal. So the, the reappearance of atrial fibrillation is very rare. Uh, and then uh, other ventricular and other electrical storms can happen uh, with that as well. So the electricity is kind of the final end of things. 
uh, and it's a little bit like uh, as our, a house gets older, there's a little bit of short circuits in some of the electrical issues. And so a lot of what we've talked about with the blood vessels and the muscle are designed to elect, uh, eventually have a house that has a very normal switch on and switch off of your heart's electricity. And that usually is what happens. That's exactly what's happened to me because when we when, when we first met, I had uh, atrial fibrillation for probably 15 years and a few events every year. But since um, I've been following your protocol, I haven't had any. Yeah, and that's a, a sign that your healing heart, muscle and blood vessels has allowed then the electricity system to be uh, normal and excellent once again. John, John, it's time for the wrap up. So Jeff, great to talk to you. I appreciate all the work you've done at, out there at the clinic for so many people and and the work you've done as the chief medical officer of our Longevity Institute. And this has been now part two of the cardiology and how it's related to longevity. And another part of it we haven't talked about yet was in the brain as well. So perhaps next time we can concentrate on uh, the atherosclerosis and how it impacts the brain as well. That would be excellent. I'll, I'll look forward to it. Great, thanks so much. And thank you, everybody. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to visit us at AsherLongevity.com to learn more about the science, supplements, and strategies to live a much longer and much happier life. That's AsherLongevity.com. From now until we meet again, John Asher reminds us that looking after our health today gives us better hope for tomorrow. That's going to wrap it up for another edition of Alive right here on the Funnel Radio Network for listeners like you.